Hello, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here with Imani Lewis, star of First Kill. Uh, this is a deliciously fun new take on the vampire genre. And I really want to get right into talking about that specific narrative uh, throughout history. You know, vampire stories, they extend as far back as the early 1800s, even. So, the idea that it comes out of you know, mass hysteria surrounding disease, but also you know the inability to truly understand science and death, mm -hmm. and, and also a means of coping with fear of the unknown, and so on and so forth. We, we've seen just how this concept has evolved mm -hmm. over the over the centuries, you know, cross culturally, internationally. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious for you, you know, how has your own connection to this lore been and, and how has it shifted as you've been a part of, of this series? Oh, if I'm being honest, I am I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I was super huge on uh, like vampire stuff or like scary supernatural stuff. I'm a scaredy cat. I used to stay away from it, but I feel like First Kill is just something so new. And, and this is a different kind of league of vampire. They're legacy vampires where they go out in the sun and they and they look so normal and they, they maneuver as like civilized human beings. And they, you know, they don't look a certain way. They don't all look like Dracula. They don't all look like, you know, that way. So um, I think it, it definitely was, uh, a new take for me and it, and it made me so excited to be a part of a project like this and uh to i think it, it gave me a newfound respect for like the lineage and the history of like people like vampires and the story of vampires and how they came about and you know how we've only ever seen it from the perspective of like a hunter like or like people that's that's something to fear but i think first kill gave me the opportunity to understand that they have a like in terms of like at least legacy vampires there's a culture to it there is a there's a hierarchy to it. It's, it's so it's so layered. And I think First Kill did a wonderful job of showing and celebrating that kind of lineage. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think watching this is almost bittersweet at times because you're seeing where other stories have really faltered. I mean, this is such a nuanced perspective and we're getting narratives that we don't often see portrayed and it's and, and their narratives are not pointed to as other or something that's that should be viewed as out of the ordinary it's just there's an effortlessness and when you watch it you really appreciate it and something about that that i've really come to love about the show is the way it taps into female sexuality in in an approach that i think is just so respectable and really contributes a lot, again, to just women-driven narratives. Yeah. I'm curious about working with an intimacy coach on set, because that's kind of a new addition to production life. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, we look at all of these productions that have come before, and we're seeing in recent years folks coming out bravely saying that they've had difficult experiences on set. They did not feel right. safe and so forth. Right. So, so I'd love to know about, about working with someone who, I her name is um, Dr. Tiff or Dr. Tiff. 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 I, I looked into some of her work and I, I think it's so incredible that she's someone who's trained in psychology, in mental health, in, in gender and sexuality studies. So, for those who don't know what that role entails, I'd love you could share a bit about it, but also just what that has allowed you to do in this role. 
Oh, intimacy coordinators are so vital. And I'm just so happy that we're finally in a time where that's encouraged and that's happening more often. I think it is incredibly important to, to the storytelling or to just overall, just the comfortability of the, of the people involved on these kind of sessions. And that everybody feels safe and that everybody feels respected and protected. And Dr. Tiff just did a extraordinary job of making everybody feel seen and feel heard. And do you need anything? Is there anything you want to know? Is there anything you want to talk about? Do you need a break? Do you want to sit? I think it's incredibly important. Um, I think with things like intimacy scenes, believe it or not, although they look very intimate, they're not as intimate as one would think. There's like 30 people in the room. There's a cameraman. There's a boom. There's sound. There's grips. There's, uh, you know, a bunch of people watching it on a monitor. You know what I mean? So nothing about it is intimate at all. It's really like a dance. It's really all choreographed. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like dancing. Like you need a choreographer. You need somebody to help build these steps and make it feel rhythmic alongside making you feel comfortable and, and creating an open line of communication between the two actors and, uh, and, and just with cast and crew in general. I'm so, so grateful that we had Dr. Tip. And again, because she's educated and so well-versed in all these different uh, things and all these different topics, it all played into how she cared for her, uh, cared for us and how she nurtured us and how she spoke life into us and checked in with our mentals and not just how we were physically feeling, how we were mentally feeling, how we were emotionally feeling, because all these things are important. And, and it all played a role in how, uh, how the chemistry appeared on camera between like Sarah Catherine and I. It, it just was, we both adore Dr. Tip, adore her. That, that is so incredible to hear. And then, yeah, Sarah Catherine has talked about how some of these scenes that you're doing, you're doing kissing intimate scenes sometimes for an entire day for hours yeah. and mm -hmm. yes there is a crew you're beholden to and yes it's it's not as you said as intimate as one would think uh, to imagine mm -hmm. that this wouldn't have been part of onset life in the past that someone there for your emotional well-being wouldn't be part of the fabric i'm thinking about how taxing it is to portray that uh, over and over again so again Absolutely. i think it, it also speaks to it also speaks to how how these things come across in a really unique way that we, as I said, have not seen before. I think about the male gaze in the past. Mm -hmm. I couldn't mm -hmm. help but think about that when Blue is the Warmest Color came out a few years yeah. after its release. I'm sure you're familiar, like Leah Sadu and Alex oh, Rapolos, yeah. how they spoke about being filtered through, you know, a male filmmaker and being exploited and, and not feeling safe and feeling embarrassed and, and all of that. And again, so many stories have come out like that. And I think that's why it's so refreshing that this doesn't feel like that at all. It really comes across in that. At all, at all. It was incredibly communicative and it was incredibly patient and gentle. And uh, again, it just, it you, you see that in, in the performances. You know, I feel like it's hard to, it's incredible. I'm sure it's possible, but it's incredibly difficult to pretend like you're comfortable when you're massively uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Well, I imagine how that can impact a scene and so on and so forth. So in terms of you know, using the word safety, I think that's really interesting here. Again, when you're in a, in a project like this where there's, where there's a lot that's asked of you, you're carrying a story as a co-lead, you're doing all of this physical work. I know that you had some experience in, you know, fight training before, but just all that's asked of you with this particular production. How do you 
make sure that you feel safe in general when you're breaking down the scripts, when you're communicating with directors, when you're preparing for these fight sequences, which we know, you know, it's, it's become a more and more normalized discussion about safety on set as well when you're talking about stunts and so on. So I feel like there's a lot that is at play here that you would have to navigate. Right. Absolutely. But I think like you, like you just uh, touched on, it just needs to have an open line of communication. So many things run so much smoother and so much quicker and just so much more efficient when you talk things through first. And I, and I adore and I'm forever grateful for a show like First Kill because there wasn't a single power that be that, that was attached to that show that wasn't open to communicating, that wasn't open to collaborating and just picking each other's brains uh, from Victoria Schwab, E. Schwab, the, the creator, to the showrunner, Felicia D. Henderson, to the, to the multiple directors that we wrote, with, uh, that we uh, filmed with, to cast, to crew, to hair, to wardrobe, to makeup, costume, they all, all were incredibly uh, like communicative. And we, we just spoke about things to make sure that we were all on one accord. And um, even down to the stunt coordinating and the stunt training, they were incredibly patient. Um, again, they would have like things kind of like as like reference videos to show us what we were gonna do. And we'd sit and we'd watch and we'd talk and, and we'd do it step by step. And we really took our time. And I, and I just really hope that that shows in the show. And I feel personally am so proud because I feel like I see that in the show that everything was handled with care. Um, and again, I'm just so, so grateful to have been a part of it. And I just, I, I, I wish that same sentiment on many of film sets that I, or film and television sets that I am to work on in the future and for every other actor and actress out there. I feel like everybody deserves to feel safe. No matter what you do, even if you're not an actor or actress, you deserve to feel safe at work. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting you say, even if you're not an actor, so you started out in the music and recording industry as young as 11, mm -hmm. I believe, right? started writing, yeah. recording, so on and so forth. I'm really mm -hmm. curious then when you're talking about being a performer and being allowed that freedom and communication, did you find that or have you still found that the music industry differs in any way? I imagine you're looking for the same kind of encouragement and nurturing in that realm as well. Yeah, I think oh, the music industry is its own beast. I think I'm grateful to be an independent artist. So like I move on my accord, you know, mm -hmm. but I think even even like actors and I mean, actors, even like musical artists, again, there's still so many the same dangers present themselves, you know, with, uh, you know, working with certain people who don't have your best interests at hand or, you know, have these hidden agendas or ulterior motives. I think that's in any business that you work in, but I think it's incredibly important that you also keep a team of people around you to ensure your safety and to ensure that things are being handled with your best interests at heart. Um, great management, great, great, just a great team, a strong, solid foundation underneath you, I think is what, what keeps people afloat and, and can keep you out of the darkness that is the film, like the entertainment industry. Wow, that really brings to mind. I actually saved a quote from Calliope that I love. Uh, I'm going to pull it up. It's when she says, I think a lot about how the world treats teenage girls. Uh, like everything that's mm -hmm. good about us is a weakness. Our hearts, our emotions, our empathy means we need to be protected. I couldn't help but just, it's just funny that I noted that. And it just really echoes what you're saying. Uh, can you speak to that line and just the particular sentiment that this character uh, is is approaching every day with and, and how you connect to that and want to portray that for other young women to see 
No, absolutely. I feel like when I when I see Calliope, I intentionally played her strong. You know, I wanted her to, to be sure. And, and of course she's written beautifully. So she's written self-aware and calculated and strategic and uh, equipped and trained. And she follows a code of honor. And, you know, she, she, she has her idea of, of who she wants to be in this world. Um, and I just really wanted to show that because I think it's so important that young girls see that. Um, I think it's important that people see that to, to see somebody that's sure and um, prepared and all these other things. Because I feel like, especially young girls, we do live in a world where things like being empathetic or being gentle or being compassionate or being kind are taken advantage of and are looked at as signs of weakness. But there's, I think it's important that there's a, I think, I think that they, I, I think, I think it's important for viewers to understand that there is a power and a strength in being able to empathize even when you can't relate or um, being able to respect what you don't understand. You know what I mean? And I feel like if you can empathize, that means you also have the ability or the capability to to uh, to understand and to respect things, even if you don't understand them or if, if they don't ring true to you. Um, I think I think young girls are just so powerful and and so intuitive and so creative, and and all these other incredible things. And I I think it's it's so awesome to see a show like First Kill where these two young girls are are celebrated in that way, and they're both strong in their own rights. You know, even though they come from different lineages and different heritages. I think it's still so awesome to see that they both have so much power to them, even though they're still teenage girls, you know? Yes. And it was interesting, you know, Sarah Catherine talked about how she feels that these characters are kind of a yin and yang to one another, but that in real life, you know, off screen, offset, that that still carries. And, and that is how they are in, in both the character world, but also collaborating they are able to uphold and play on each other's strengths and, and bring something to the other. I was wondering if you could expand on that because I thought it was a beautiful comment. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I see uh, Calliope, I see someone who has only ever been sure of who she's supposed to be because she's seen it in front of her. She sees her family, she sees her mother, she sees her father, she sees her older brothers and feels like her destiny is predestined. Um, but then when these new feelings come about, it's not something that she can share with those same people that she reveres so heavily because it goes against the grain. While I see uh, Juliet being someone who does not want that destiny, who does not want to own that as her truth and is struggling to find her voice to be able to say that and stand in that power. So when I see them come together, I see Juliet um, showing Calliope a compassion and a gentleness and a sensitiveness that Cal doesn't think she can receive um, from her family because of the, the duty that they, that, that they have and the, 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 the mission that they're on and the, the position they hold in this guild. But then when I see Juliet and Calliope's dynamic, I see Cal being a beacon of like strength and courage and confidence that she like pours into Juliet and like determining who she wants to be, giving like almost giving Juliet the permission to live life the way she wants to. It's almost funny because Calliope's doing the same thing, like living the life that she was predestined to, but encourages Juliet to live the life that she wants to, not the one that she's predestined to. I think they pour into each other. I think that they need the same kind of support within each other um, in the same ways, but for different reasons. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it comes across in every scene, even the, the, the more you know, bare moments or pared down moments. It's interesting saying going against the grain so to me, I think, again, historically, 
vampire narratives have been a way to portray ways in which one can go against the norm and in, in, in i think in a, in a subtle form uh, for instance i'm thinking about back 18 pre bram stoker you know was carmilla this this lesbian yeah, vampire yeah, yeah. novel that we yeah. don't even acknowledge much right it's sort of getting this renaissance and, and folks on earth it was as far back as 1870s but it was a way to use the genre to explore something that wasn't allowed to really be exhibited in the mainstream or would have been quite controversial. So I think about historically vampires in, in pop culture and so on representing that. And I think of the evolution of, you know, through Anne Rice's work in particular, uh, the way she was exploring, you know, alienation and so on and her vampires in the early nineties, you know, start transforming into deeply emotional, sensual, um, you know, whimsically beautiful individuals versus something scary, you know, coming to get you at night and so on. And, and she did speak about, and so many cultural critics have talked about, you know, it was a way for her to speak to those who felt alienated and in particularly gay readers being able to identify with what it meant to to feel secretive and there was this whole metaphorical lens that i think folks have put on that since right. so i wanted to speak about how the series fits into this evolution and how it it can signify from here on out where we are culturally we've come a long way since hey. Right. Blood, for instance, right? It was over 10 years ago where that, you know, I know it's based on the, the Sookie Stackhouse novels, but the show right, really right. came into talking about uh, the gay community and uh, oppression, even uh, racial tensions in the South and so on. And so I'm thinking about just now, over 10 years later, you know, what does this show fulfill that, that we need to talk about? And then from here on out, could be emblematic of the time that we're in. Right. I think I think when I see First Kill, I see. I, I, that's why I, I think we use the word modern so much to show that we are in very different times now. And I think it's incredibly important. And I'm so grateful to First Kill and the powers that be that they wrote a story where their queerness is not the point of conflict. That is something that is well understood early on in the story, and it is something that is normalized and celebrated within their families and within their friend groups. And I think it's important that we see that kind of story that we see that there are households where the, the, the youngest daughters are both queer and that is not the issue, you know what I mean? And I feel like it, I, I, when I see these characters and I see that kind of story and that kind of uh, dynamic, I think about all the different viewers that'll watch this and feel like their battle may not be monster hunter and vampire. It may be culture, it may be religion, it may be uh, uh, tradition, it may be all these other things that are like keeping them from, from uh, living that truth authentically. But I think it's so important that we see that kind of representation that there, there is a world where it can be normal because we live in a world where we, the very groups of people that were, that first kill shines a light on are the very people that influence why society is the way it is now. You know, why it looks the way it does, why music sounds the way it does, why we dress the way we do, why we use certain phrases, why uh, certain things are humorous now or all kinds of things. And I feel like, it's about time, and, and I've gotten so many wonderful messages from from 
fans of the show just telling me how grateful they are that they have a show like this and that they feel seen and that they wish they had something like this years ago. Even uh, V.E. Schwab, she, she, she in writing and, and creating the story, she was just saying that she just wanted to create something that she wished she had saw when she was younger to, to make her feel that much more like safer in her skin and in her truth. Um, so I'm just so I'm very proud of the evolution of this kind of genre and this kind of storytelling and this kind of uh, uh, relationship. It's just it's so wonderful and it's so refreshing and it's so not as new and not as extraordinary extraordinary as people are making it out to be. You know what I mean? Like this is not new things. It just finally has the right light being shined. On it. I, I I absolutely love that and I think it's so beautiful that folks are not only identifying with it but so many are saying oh my goodness i wish i had this and so thinking about the the many young women or just viewers in general right who who will now have this i think it's so so powerful so thank you so so much and wishing you the best with all of the roles coming up that you have you're very busy thank <laughs> you so, so much